Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. It's our final podcast of July, and of course, we're going to talk a lot about horse racing with Mike McAdam. Week three of At the Track with Mac, and we'll talk about uh, week two and look ahead to week three. Also, a big retirement in hockey. Patrice Bergeron ends his uh, career at the, with the Boston Bruins after 19 excellent seasons. And I'll be joined by Jimmy Murphy, who covers uh, the Bruins for Boston Hockey Now. We'll discuss uh, Bergeron's legacy with the club and what he meant to the team in his nearly uh, two decades with the Bruins. So let's take a break, and we'll come back with Mike McGadden with uh, Week 3 of At the Track with Mac. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Take the Daily Gazette, the local voice of the Capital Region, along with you wherever you go. Want to win an Apple iPad? Download the app at either the Apple App Store or Google Play and enter the contest inside the app to win. Don't wait. The contest ends July 31st at midnight. The winner will be notified by the email used to enter the contest. Good luck. Hi, this is four-time Stanley Cup champion and New York State Hockey Hall of Famer John Tonelli. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shaw. Welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, week three of our At the Track with Mac uh, segment. Uh, Mike McGadam, the Gazette, at Saratoga Racecourse, and at the At the Track with Mac studio up at Saratoga Racecourse. Mike, how you doing? Very good. Yes, in the studio, we use that term loosely because it's a it's a broadcast booth that they naira built so that they could have a uh, spanish-speaking uh, track announcer up here doing his thing but uh um he he's gone but the, the booth remains so i've sort of like commandeered it for for uh, podcast purposes so that's where i'm sitting right cool. now so let's start uh uh after go rocket ride uh won the haskell last weekend and with the jim dandy scheduled for this saturday at saratoga looks like the three old male divisions back in the spotlight which is a good thing it is, and um, you know we'll, we'll see. Some of those Haskell horses are going to be um, they're going to be up here for the Travers, and one of them already is. That's Mage, the uh, Kentucky Derby winner. He arrived on Monday, I believe it was, or or yesterday. Um, and I was over there this morning, and and uh, just to check to see when he'd be on the track, when we can get a photo of him. So they're going to gallop him on the Oklahoma training track on Saturday. So we'll be here. Bright and early on Saturday to, to watch him do his thing. He has been on the track, you know, just doing, you know, leg stretcher type stuff and get some some air into his lungs. They won't breeze him. They won't give him an aggressive breeze workout until maybe the following weekend. Um, but he'll be out galloping. Um, and uh, and he ran pretty well at Go Rocket Ride. Um, 
uh, won, but Mage, it sounded like they were happy with how he performed in that race. Uh, he had not raced since finishing third in the Preakness to, to end his uh, Triple Crown bid after winning the Derby. Um, so he skipped the Belmont naturally and, and ran in the Haskell. And they were happy with how he, he ran on Saturday at Mammoth Park. So we'll, they're, they're all systems go for the uh, for the Travers. And then meanwhile, um, in the same division, three-year-old males of uh, Saratoga, of course, hosting the Jim Dandy, which is a traditional stepping stone to the Travers. That's on Saturday. And um, the field, um, they haven't drawn it yet. Uh, they'll do that later uh, Wednesday afternoon. But right now, the, the probables include... Um, two from Brad Cox, Angel of Empire, and uh, Hit Show. Um, and then the big name, obviously, is Forte for trainer Todd Pletcher. Um, and his saga will continue in the Jim Dandy on Saturday. Uh, that saga, in reference to the fact that he was the morning line favorite for the Kentucky Derby, won by Mage, uh, came down with a minor foot issue. So he scratched the morning of the race. Um and then because he was on the 14-day vets list, uh, he wasn't allowed to run in the Preakness either. So he came back in the um, Belmont Stakes and ran real well. Um, came in second place by a length and a half to Archangel, Archangelo, who's also here on the grounds and, and prepping for the uh, Derby. Archangelo, they're going to train up. Uh, not the Derby, the Travers. Archangelo will train up to the um uh, to the Travers, so he won't be in the in the Jim Dandy field on Saturday, but we will see Forte. Um, we went over there to watch him breeze his last Jim Dandy breeze on Saturday, <clears throat> and uh, uh, Pletcher had put a, a what's called a fringe. He called it a fringe cup. It's a form of it's like a, a it's blinkers basically to take away some of his vision, um, but it's a, like. The bare minimum blinker you could possibly have. So it's very narrow. It's in the back. It's like just to cut out some of his peripheral vision. It even has some holes in it. So it's really, they're not trying to like block his vision entirely. But um, uh, Saturday morning, Pletcher said they're going to try that. They try that was the first time you ever breezed in him on Saturday. And they're going to, looks like they're going to keep him on for the Jim Dandy. And the whole purpose of that is to give him a little, keep him a little more focused on his job. Um, they even going back to the Florida Derby on the second turn, um, you know, he saw some signs that he was losing focus. And then the Belmont, he believes that might have been a little bit of an issue either. It's not a major thing, but for instance, his, you know, Pletcher works his good horses in company with another horse. And, he, he worked with a, a good horse named Emmanuel on Saturday, and Pletcher said he noticed that by adding those blinkers, um, he, he wasn't paying attention to his work partner as much as he usually does. He kind of stayed focused on what the what the rider was trying to get him to do out of the workout. So they got you know good positive feedback from this equipment change on Forte and they're going to looks like they're going to stick with it in the Jim Dandy so that'll be kind of an interesting interesting little twist uh to their preparations for uh you know the the big three-year-old male race on Saturday well let's look back at week two it was a fabulous weekend uh at Saratoga for the Phillies uh with Ness returning from a long layout to beat Clarier in the uh, Shuvi and Wet Paint winning the coaching club America Oaks to emerge as one of the top three-year-old Phillies in the country yeah um 
I'll skip to that that one first. Um, you know, pretty mischievous who won the Kentucky Oaks and the Acorn. Um, she's, I think she's still kind of the top dog in the three-year-old Philly division just based on the merit of those two wins. Um, but Wet Paint uh, threw her hat in the ring on Saturday, you know, with her nice win in the coaching club American Oaks. Um Closed into a slow pace. Uh, you know, she got in a battle, kind of a stretch duel inside the 16th pole with Sacred Wish and pulled out the victory. Gambling girl who um, we were kind of interested in uh, based on the fact that she was bred in, in Columbia County. So she's a New York bred. Was kind of, she finished second pretty mischievous in the Kentucky Oaks, and then she was third in the uh, CCA Oaks here on Saturday. So I'm not sure what she's going to do moving forward, but they were thrilled with wet paint. Um, Brad Cox, the trainer, uh, Flavian Pratt was the rider. It's a Godolphin horse. Um, and she's right up there as, you know, one of the top contenders in the division based on that. She'll come back in the, in the Alabama later in the meet. Um, and then on Sunday we had the shoe V and it was a much anticipated, matchup rematch if you want to call it from last year's um breeders cup distaff in november um clary has been doing a few things she's she's won some nice races since then meanwhile nest has not had not raced at all until sunday um they were trying to get her back in the springtime and then the the race they were pointing to they didn't make because she had a little bit of a some kind of respiratory fever or something whatever it was some illness that so she missed that spot and then you know it just didn't work out they just couldn't get her quite where they wanted her to be and then she absolutely was where they wanted her to be on sunday as she you know it it was a slow pace she got to jump on everybody and basically um clarier could never like cut into her two three length advantage um, after kind of slow early fractions, Clary are kind of needs a little bit more of a setup with the you know fast pace up front early, certainly more than Nest does. And uh, Nest took full advantage and uh, um, just looked like a million bucks. Uh, she, she certainly was echoes to last year when she was um, you know dominated the coaching club American Oaks and Alabama as a three-year-old and we're all kind of anticipating well, what is she going to show us on this track that she clearly likes a lot and sh- she showed it so um, so let's go again <laughs> personal incident on Travers Day we'll see these two go against each other again maybe there will be a little more pace to help Clarier you know get set up to, to be closer at the wire but for the time being Nest is uh, you know best older Philly or Mayor going to root of ground in, in the country right now. I, I mean, I voted for her above Clarier in the NTRA poll this week. So um, that's just back. Michael Gadam joining us here on the, uh, the Party Shots podcast, the At the Track with Max segment. Uh, let's look ahead to week three, Mike, and uh, there's no question who the best male sprinter is. And uh, Saratoga fans will get a chance to see Elite Power in the AG Vanderbilt on the Jim Dandy card. Yeah, that's the. the that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. There are a bunch of stakes. There's Bowling Green on Sunday on the turf. There's the Amsterdam for three-year-old males, or three-year-olds going, uh, you know, sprint distance um, on Friday. But on Saturday on that Jim Dandy undercard, um, you know, Elite Power, he, you know, he could probably win this thing by 10 lengths. Um, and so, 
be one of those races where you just kind of like want to watch the star in action as opposed to like a good betting race or a close you know i don't know who's going to be able to touch this guy um he's won seven straight he won the true north on belmont day by a length and three quarters um and his seven straight goes back to um a maiden race at churchill downs in june of last year um and so since then he's he, he's has done nothing wrong he he ran in an optional claiming race at saratoga last year because he was still eligible for the that condition won that by three and a half and then they threw him into uh graded stakes competition in october he won the vosberg at belmont park by five and three quarters lengths and then he won the breeders cup sprint at keeneland in november to you know hands down lock up the male sprinter championship last year um you know and then he's done nothing wrong this year they you know they like him so much they sent him over to saudi arabia and he won a one and a half million dollar sprint there and then as i already mentioned he's coming off that um nice win in the true north at belmont so this this will be one that you just kind of want to interested to see this one horse and see you know how much he's going to win by basically um you know as opposed to last week when we were kind of was looking forward to the matchup between clarier and nest um in this case it's just going to be like this star on parade as far as i uh, you know i firmly believe um so that that'll be that'll be on saturday with the jim dandy cards so kind of another cool um aspect to the that card coming up yeah uh jockey jose ortiz as we taped this on wednesday is expected back to uh be riding on his mounts on the on the wednesday card uh he was took a spill on friday how's he doing um i haven't gotten any update today this is wednesday um and they're just I haven't seen the scratches yet. I he sounded. Um, I didn't see him on this weekend. Somebody did and, and related to me that he's he should be all systems go for today. Uh, fortunately for him, and and this happened last Friday. Um, his horse it was like a four, four horse blanket finish, and his horse kind of. One horse kind of pulled out, and it affected him, and it, so his horse took back as well, and then clipped heels with another horse, and, and literally barrel rolled over the finish line, and sh- shooting Jose to the ground, and he got up and walked, but he was kind of ginger and was holding his right side, and we were kind of thinking it was ribs, and you know, I got X-rays, and, and it, there was nothing broken, but he was kind of banged up and sore, and he just can't do your job you know his job with sore ribs so but he's it's not like he's going to be back so out, of, out of commission won't be anything really that lingers i don't believe yeah. um but he'll, he'll be back in the fold yeah. another question i have is i i you know type in the horse racing he's also appearing in the right. daily gazette and the one thing i've noticed in the last couple of days uh, a lot of veterinarian scratches do is there any reason why we're seeing a lot of that I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a good question and it's a good observation. Um, you know, HESA, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, um, you know, implement, has implemented their regulations and their universal um, standards of how um, horses are tested and, and um, you know, just whole regulatory body that is keeping an eye on things these days. Um, and so I don't know if it's like, a result of new standards that they've put in or what but um you know that um 
I did notice that myself. There was one race last week where it was like four vet scratches in one race, which was unusual. So I, it could be a product of the new HESA um, standards. I don't know. I mean, it'd be something to keep an eye on for the rest of the meet, see if it can maybe touch base with some trainers and, and see if, you know. It, it, another weird thing that I saw last week, or I think it was on Sunday, was um, – what happens when a horse is cleaned um they they do a vet check and if they see anything the, the claim can be voided after a race so in a claiming race you, you enter your horse and it's basically up for sale anybody before the race can put in a bid um to to claim your horse for a set price and it would just seem weird that there were two horses in a claiming race that were that deemed okay to run, but then the claim was voided after the fact. So what did they see in the post? You know, was it something they did in the race? I don't know. Um, but that seemed kind of weird too. So, but you know, as the meet goes on, I'll probably start asking around and ask, get some feedback from people and see if they, you know, if there's any grumbling about the new regulations through HESA. Um, and again, the, the, Without investigating, I don't know what those the, the story was behind those vet scratches, but you know it does seem like you're kind of noticing it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, let's take go uh, get off the horse racing uh, track and put on your Boston Bruins jersey. Um, <laughs> you know, you're a big Bruins fan, of course. The announcement came out Tuesday that uh, Patrice Bergeron, after a nearly uh, 20 year career with the Bruins, has uh, decided to uh, retire. What are your thoughts? We're, and we're going to talk about uh, more about Bergeron's retirement with uh, Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey now coming up uh, okay. a little bit later on the uh, podcast here. But what are your thoughts about Bergeron and uh, what he meant to the Bruins and uh, his legacy? Um, I got in a text exchange with my brother yesterday. He was actually the one that, that um, notified me of it. That was for, He sent me a text 37 as retiring. And so we got in a little exchange and I, told him you know he's on my mount rush mount rushmore of all time you know the four greatest guys that at least in my lifetime the others were were bobby or cam neely and uh ray borg and as i explained to him i said i understand that if you did a like a poll of who should be on it, it you wouldn't come up with those four necessarily i mean some of them you would but um, but as I you know, explained it to him, I said, this is like a really personal thing. It's like my Mount Rushmore. It's not, you know, the definitive one, but Bergeron is on there. And, um, you know, my sister asked me a few years ago, she was getting a, a Christmas present for my brother. And she said, if I get a Bruins jersey, which one should I get? And I didn't hesitate. I said, just get 37, <laughs> believe me. And I wasn't wrong. Um, total class, played hurt. You know, you didn't know it. Um, two-way player, um, just utter class, but but with tremendous ability too. And and uh, you know, when they when they had the perfection line with Pasternak and uh, Brad Marchand like last season, every time they're on the ice, I pretty much expected them to score. And and usually with Bergeron being the pivot point between the other two guys. Um, but his production speaks for itself. His contribution to the Stanley Cup speaks for itself. Um, and his class that I think universally people uh, um, 
you know, will acknowledge that uh, just just a total class individual and, and one of my favorite Bruins of all time for <laughs> for all of those reasons. And he scored two of the most memorable goals in Bruins history in the Game 7 of the 2013 Eastern Conference quarterfinals against the Maple Leafs, scoring that tying goal late in Game 7 and scoring the winning one in overtime and yeah, saving the Bruins from uh, losing to the Maple Leafs. Yeah, and... Um, you know, as unselfish as he was, he's a really good goal scorer. So, I mean, so in a circumstance like that, he's like, if I see something, I'm going to do something. And, uh, um, you know, just a total all-around player. And he played big in the big moments, played big when they needed him to in, in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I just love the guy, as you can tell. <laughs> well, we're going to close out this with some sad news. Uh, a colleague of ours from the uh, who worked with us for the Gazette from 1990 to 95 and also worked at the Saratoga and covering the uh, the tr- track and also the Adirondack Red Wings and uh, the American Hockey League. Bob Dittmeyer passed away uh, Monday uh, at the age of 60. Uh, what were your thoughts of Bob you know, working with him and his knowledge of horse racing and hockey? Um. I loved working with Bob. It's very sad to hear this, and um, and he he was a like at the track. He was a race tracker too. Like he liked to bet. He didn't just come up here because he was assigned to it. Um, in fact, I was remember running into him down at Belmont Park long after he wasn't covering racing anymore, and he was there on Belmont Day uh, just enjoying the the card. Um, good guy, great sense of humor, uh, really strong reporter. Um, and totally sorry to hear the news about that. Um, rest in peace, Bob. Yep. Well, Mike, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, we'll do this again next week. All right, I'll be here. Thanks for having me on, Ken. Right, that's Mike McAdam. Uh, coming up, Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey. Now we'll discuss the legacy of Boston Bruins great Patrice Bergeron. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the Track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Matt Donato, Gene Kirshner, Jeff Carl, and Naira Betts. You will also get Mike McAdams' takes on the races. There are direct links to Naira Betts. You can find At the Track online at dailygazette.com slash category slash at the track. Frank Caliendo, pretending to be Morgan Freeman, maybe even a little bit of John Badford, Robert Downey Jr., uh, comedian, impressionist, playboy philanthropist, maybe not the last two. And you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. After an outstanding 19-year career with the Boston Bruins, forward Patrice Bergeron announced his retirement on Tuesday. And to discuss his legacy, I am joined by Jimmy Murphy, who does an outstanding job covering the Bruins for BostonHockey.now. Jimmy, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, You were at the press conference on Wednesday as we taped this. What was that press conference like? Well, I mean, to start off by telling you listeners, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's a little more personal than maybe some other similar, you know, press conference I've been at like that. Um, I, I, I covered Patrice, you know, almost my whole career, covered him for his whole career. I was there the first day he arrived in Wilmington for training camp in 2003, prior to the 0304 season. And 
uh, you know, instantly formed uh, a, a good working relationship with him. And, it, you know, I mean, if you know anything about Patrice, he's just a, he's a great A person and he's a quality person. And he, he spoke about today how he always tried to uh, treat the media like on a personal level and not just like it was his job, you know, and he, that's, and he held true to that. And he was always a type of guy who, you know, you go and you see these guys every day and obviously they're going to get sick of us and sick of the same questions and all that. And I get it. But Patrice was never like that. And, you know, he would, he would literally take time to ask you about your kids or life in general, you know? So he's just, he's a rare individual in pro sports. They, you know, they don't make many of them like him anymore. Um, and I, I, I just think, you know, like every kid or young player coming up the ranks right now, you know, if you, you want to make it, you want longevity in the game, and you, you know, you want to really do it right and emulate him. And, and that's the type of guy he was. So it was, it was bittersweet. I'm happy for him. I'm really thrilled for him. I, I'm really excited that he's going to get to spend time with his family now and that he doesn't have to continue to beat the hell out of his body and man it's you know that body's been through a lot um but it was it was sad at the same time you know i mean it's like it's like a colleague that you've worked with for 20 years and you know it's done uh, so it's it's gonna be really strange showing up there at camp and not seeing him in the dressing room but uh i definitely wish him nothing but the best and thank him for just being you know, such a great person along the way. I had my Gazette colleague, Mike McAdam, on. He's a big Bruins fan. And he had mentioned that for his Mount Rushmore, Bergeron would be on there along with uh, Bobby Orr, Ray Bork, and Cam Neely. Uh, is, he, is he, is Patrice on your Mount Rushmore, for, uh, top Bruins players? Uh, he's right at the top. I mean, look, I everyone... No matter how old you are, you know about Bobby Orr. You've seen that goal. You know the stories. But I, I don't. I don't know Bobby Orr that well, and um, I don't think he particularly likes me these days because we have different political views. But um, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Uh, but you know, I, look. I mean, he's he's. It's from what I know, he's you know the greatest player of all time, and we we can go on and on about that argument whether it's him or Gretzky or Lemieux, and now you can throw in Crosby and, and, and McDavid, and, and there'll they'll be another one. You know, maybe it's Bedard, maybe it's Austin Matthews finally goes to another level, and who knows? But we can we can have those arguments all the time. But if when it, when it comes to just Bruins, he's front and center for me. I mean, in terms of my 23 years on the beat, he is the best all-around Bruin person and leader that I've covered. And, you know, I, I, my first day on the job was actually the night, uh, it was the season opener for the 2001 02 season, right after 9 11. And uh, they, they retired Ray Bork's number that night. And I grew up watching Bork, so I can relate more to him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so until, until Patrice Bergeron came along, Bork was that guy for me. You know, he, he was right there. And I grew up watching Neely, too, and loved him as a player. And um, But Bork was always just that guy. I think one of the biggest things, and Bergeron spoke about how he, he tried to make this a, a trademark of, of his game and his life, was just consistency, right? And you, you saw that with Bork. Neely would be up and down at times, right? But, but 
Ray Bork and Patrice Bergeron, you could depend on them no matter what, every single game, no matter what. You knew you were going to get the same effort. You might not get the same production every game, but you knew they were going to do every little thing they had to do to help their team win. And you knew that there weren't going to be, you know, fancy plays to turn into a turnover and go back the other way for a goal. You're not getting that with Patrice Bergeron or Ray Bork. So that that's kind of the kind of the analogy I'll make there when you're, you're kind of connecting the generations. Um, but, you know, for me, he's front and center on that Mount Rushmore. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just one of a kind. And the fact that in this day and age with uh, free agency and player movement, he played all 19 years with the Bruins. Ray Bork didn't play all his career with the Bruins. Bobby Orr didn't play all his career with the Bruins. Patrice Bergeron said, what does that mean in, in this era of free agency? Yeah, that's a great point, right? I mean, it, it's so weird. Even though he won a cup with the Colorado Avalanche, you never think of Ray Bork as a Colorado Avalanche player. But he, you're right. I mean, he did not finish his career with the Bruins. Uh, just the fact, like, you don't see that anymore, right? It's just so hard to do with money in the game and uh, you know, obviously now with a salary cap, it's even more difficult, right? It's just you got to get guys to do like what him and Marshan did and Krejci at the end there, you know, just to take pay cuts uh, for their teammates to, to keep a contending team together. So that's what it means. It just shows you it's just another ref- – his, his consistency, his longevity, and, and remaining with the same team – in the salary cap era is just another reflection of what a team guy he was. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know how we're going to see that. And I don't, and that's not a knock on any of the players today. I don't know. I don't see Connor McDavid finishing his career with the Edmonton Oilers. I don't see Austin Matthews finishing his career with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I just think it's going to be impossible for those teams and those GMs to, to make that happen, even if they take a discount. Um, you know, they're saying the cap's going to go up. I don't believe any of that. They said the same thing at this time last year. I think we've got a long climb before you can really get into uh, a cushion space, so to speak, where maybe you can keep these guys around a little longer on your team. Yeah. Looking at the uh, numbers that um... – Bergeron put up in his career, 427 goals, 613 assists. But the big thing to me, he was probably the best two-way player of his generation. Six Selkie Trophy Awards as the best uh, defensive uh, forward in the NHL. What does it say that he was able to not only put up points, but play so well defensively? Well, I think he's the best two-way player ever, or at least my lifetime. And I'm 48. I'll be 49 in November. And I have no problem saying in the last 49 years, he's the best two-way player ever uh, to play in the NHL or over that span, let's say. I mean, he the only other guy, and, you know, look, I never – I saw him play a couple times when I was really young, but I didn't cover him or anything or really get to know him. his game would be the guy whose record he broke for the Selkie trophies, Bob Ganey. So um, I, I think, you know – He's a coach's dream, right? I mean, not only is he just such a leader, uh, he's so he's just so easy to coach because he he already it's already in him. He doesn't have to be taught to do these things. So many players, when they get to the pro level, 
have to be taught how to survive in the pro game and then it's not all about finesse and it's you know it's not about being Trevor Zegers every game um, or, or even Connor McDavid it's just that, that's not how you survive and how you wind up winning or, or getting close every year to winning the cup um, so he's already got it in him and uh, you know that's why I say he's such a rare breed you don't see many players like that and he loved it he loved it embracing that quality he had he took pride in it and he knew he had it and he used it to excel and to help his teammates excel also he was a clutch playoff performer too had 50 goals in the in the postseason 70 points scored twice in that game seven clincher against vancouver in 2011 and of course he's remembered for the you know, two big goals against the maple leafs in the 2013 Eastern Conference quarterfinals, the like time one that set the game in overtime and scoring the game-winning goal. How much of a clutch player was he? He was really clutch, and it wasn't just the, the fact that he would get timely goals or score in big games like that. It was just that he would, like we were just talking about his consistency in his two-way game, he would he would elevate that that game, his game. To an, if that's possible, you know, like it's hard to look at how could this guy get any better, but he did get better when they needed him the most. And I think, you know, it, all, all his teammates, like they said in those tribute videos, I'm sure he's going to be saying forever. And whenever they put his number up to the rafters this year, you're going to hear it a lot. It, it's just how he elevated the, those around him and he made those around him better. You know, I mean, people can uh, bash and I'm not going to, you know, argue the fact that he still needs to work on, um, his turnovers and his 200 foot game, but I mean, you you're just Michael Felger if you can't admit that David Pasternak has become a better two way player under you know Patrice Bergeron's tutelage and playing by him for so many years on the same line. You just you just don't like Pasternak if you if you're going to say that because look, I've had conversations with Bergie about it. I've had conversations with Jim Montgomery with uh, Bruce Cassidy. And, and they said they could just see Bergeron rubbing off on Parsonek. and But I think the biggest example of his game being clutch is is how he made Brad Marchand clutch. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. think, think about where Brad Marchand might be right now if he never had Patrice Bergeron. And I, I'm not trying to knock Brad Marchand on saying that, but it's just a fact. You know, and, and Marchand will tell you the same thing. So but I, I just think that he knew how to take not just himself to another level, but his whole team. And clearly, you know, that game seven against Toronto or game seven against Vancouver, uh, those were two instances where he just he just completely put the team on his back and said, come with me, guys. I got it. Let's go. How important was his leadership this past season with uh, Jim Montgomery coming in uh, oh. as the new head coach? I, I, well, I think we're about to see. Just how important it was. I think we're going to see that in a very big way early on this season. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean I don't think, you know, look, he's a Jack Adams award winner. He did a great job in Denver. He did a great job is, you know, in his first skin before things went bad in Dallas. He's a, he's a great coach. Um, but look, I mean, he agreed with me. I said it to him one time. I said, look, I mean, you know, a few slap shot fans out there. I said, Hey, you know, uh, Patrice Bergeron is your Reg Dunlop. 
He's, he's the player coach, you know? Like, you you literally have a player And he says, you're not kidding, Murph. Uh, and he goes, seriously, he is a, he's an extension of my coaching staff. And so now that's gone, and it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Montgomery compensates for that. But, you know, it's funny when I'm talking about that, it does kind of not to splinter off into another topic, but I think it... Well, it might be tough at first. I think it's going to be better in the long run for Montgomery. Not that, not that I'm sure he didn't embrace having that extra coach on the ice there in Bergeron. But I almost feel like there were times when he leaned on him too much. Like he didn't make his own decisions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, that will help in the long run. But no, I mean, I mean, this guy's a coach's dream. It's it's crazy, right? And that's why you hear so many people say, like, you know, you want your kids to grow up to be like Patrice Bergeron because he's going to be so easy to coach if the, if he does. Do you think he was tempted to play one more year to maybe get that bad taste of out of his mouth of what happened with the Panthers in the the first round? I think he was right in the moment and probably for like a month after, you know, but. He said it today. He said that's you know that was my plan, and that's why I took a little extra time. I wanted to kind of let the shock, and the, and and I'm sure you know just him being pissed off inside and saying what the belief I can't believe this happened, and I'm not going out you know, and that's just who he is. He's a proud proud player, a proud person. So I'm sure he was like, I'm not going out like this. Are you kidding me? No way, no way. Am I going like? No, it would have been like you know. Time, you know, it's a different time in his career, but you know, like, or just any player, like, like maybe, you know, think about if Mark Recchi had gone out after they blew that one to Philly in 2010 mm-hmm. and didn't come back to win the cup with them in, in, in 2010 11, you know. But I think, you know, this, and like I said, this is a different situation. And I think that he knew, he said it. I knew coming in this year, this was. Very likely my last year. And I think we all kind of knew, you know, him and Krejci coming back. One more shot with this core. You know, one more. Let's see if they, if they can get all the way and get another cup. They didn't do it. And that's that's life. And, you know, that's, I think, another great quality about Patrice Bergeron is that he accepts lessons in life. And uh, he's not a crybaby. And he's not going to let it, like, stubborn pride dictate the rest of his life. I mean... Like, I think he comes back, man. He, if he didn't listen to his body and retire, and he comes back, and then let's say he gets another serious injury or, God forbid, another concussion, what kind of quality of life is he going to be able to live and, 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 you know, help raise his kids with? Like, how there's things that are way more important than hockey, and, and he knows that, and that's, that w- that's what makes him a great person. Who wears the C next season for the Bruins? Well, look, I'll, uh, I tweeted it yesterday, and I felt like a complete imbecile, uh, which is a common thing, but um, <laughs> I, for some reason, I, I don't know why, I, I don't like, it, maybe somebody told me this and they were wrong and then it got stuck in my head but for some reason, I just had it etched in my head that this was the final season of Martian's contract, and so, you know, the logical exp- the logical choice is Martian, right? That's what everyone's going to think um, and, and that would makes sense but you know thinking that well, wait if this is his last year they're gonna want to go through naming a captain again next year you know next summer at this time so it's like i don't know maybe it won't be martian maybe they'll do something by committee maybe they'll do or maybe they'll just 
tra- you know, Sweeney is very adamant right now about transitioning into that new leadership core uh, and that, you know, kind of the new age guys, the, the mid-20s to late-20s guys. He's very adamant about that. Um, so, you know, I was like, oh, they'll, they'll, it'll be Mac. But now I'm kind of like, well, if he's got two years, Martian does make sense. However, though, I, you know, Martian's a team guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's two reasons why I still am 50-50 between McAvoy and Martian. And the first reason is exactly what I just told you about the transition unit of leadership and moving in. You know, just because Martian doesn't have the C on his jersey doesn't mean he's, he's not as equal a captain as whoever does. I mean... We all know anyone who covered that team or anyone who watched the team when, when Char was playing here and he had to see, everyone still knew it was a co-captain thing. It wasn't just, you know, a captain and, and two alternates. I mean, when things, when all was said and done, Patrice Bergeron was the unofficial captain as well of this team, even with Char here. So, you know, even if they don't give the C to Martian, he's still going to be a leader in that dressing room. They're still going to follow his lead. And not to the detriment of McAvoy if he had it. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, they're not going to listen to McAvoy. And that's that's not going to be good. No, I mean, but there's still – it will still be a core-type leadership situation. Um, and then the other reason that I don't think it could be Martian is there's not a ref in the NHL that likes Brad Martian. And part of the job of a captain <laughs> is to negotiate yes. and talk a ref down when things are getting out of hand or when you're not getting a lot of penalties call, you know, your way. So that right there might be the biggest reason why Brad Martian might not become the captain. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a, it's funny. So, um, Jimmy, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you just find me on at Murphy's Law 74, or uh, you can find the Boston Hockey Now stuff at BOS Hockey Now. And then I'm also doing a podcast as well with uh, the National Hockey Now Network called Murphy's Hockey Law. So you can check that out. We'll have uh, be a new one coming out tomorrow with uh, Mark Recky talking about Patrice Bergeron. Uh, what he meant to him. So, uh, yeah, that's where you find me. All right. Well, Jimmy, appreciate a few minutes and uh, your maiden voyage on the on my podcast. I appreciate it. You did well. <laughs> Any, anytime, brother. All right. Thanks thank a lot for having me. All right, thank you for coming on, Jimmy. That's Jimmy Murphy. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest in just a moment. Hey, auto racing fans, the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is back. Here's how to play. Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is run by the advertising department and not affiliated with the sports department. Take the Daily Gazette, the local voice of the Capital Region, along with you wherever you go. Want to win an Apple iPad? Download the app at either the Apple App Store or Google Play and enter the contest inside the app to win. Don't wait. The contest ends July 31st at midnight. The winner will be notified by the email used to enter the contest. Good luck!
Hi, this is Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames General Manager, Clarkson Hockey Legend, and New York State Hockey Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 21 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Jay Tice with 40 points. Jay wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Jay. The VIP winners were Jerry Peel of Frankensons and me. We each had 40 points. I'll announce the Auto Racing Contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, Go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam and Jimmy Murphy for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and threads at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and I leave you with a tribute to the late singer Tony Bennett, who died last week at the age of 96. What a remarkable life and career he had. He connected with all generations of music lovers. I got into Bennett's music on his numerous appearances on Late Night with David Letterman back in the 1980s. He had a very successful appearance on MTV Unplugged. His voice was just wonderful to listen to. While he is no longer with us physically, his records will last forever. I leave you with his signature song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Rest in peace, Tony, and thank you for your music. The loveliness of Paris Seems somehow sadly gay The glory that was Rome is of another day I've been terribly alone and forgotten in Manhattan I'm going home to my city by the bay I left my heart in San Francisco high on a hill it calls to me to Cable cars Climb halfway To the stars The morning fog May chill The air 
I don't care My love waits there In San Francisco Above the blue And windy sea When I come home to you San Francisco Your golden sun 